The Sports Desk at the Columbus Dispatch presents the Buckeye Extra Basketball Podcast. With your host, Ohio State basketball beat writer Adam Jardy. Brady Batiste has given me the run. Here it goes. Up, up, and away. Slam jam, bam. And now he does a little dance. Now, the Buckeye Extra Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Adam Jardy from the Columbus Dispatch. Today is Friday, April 21st, 2023. It's my official duty to welcome you into episode 339 of the Buckeye Extra Men's Basketball Podcast. Welcome to Jubilation City. Welcome to the Jardy House. I'm sitting here at my desk. It's a little bit before noon here on Friday, and it's been a busy week. Happy Eve of National Record Store Day, y'all. We got a lot to talk about, and I don't just mean the release of Travis's The Invisible Band Live, which I very much am hoping to be finding on Saturday morning. That is assuming that I sleep at all. Like the night before a record store day, when there's stuff that I'm interested in, it's kind of like Christmas for adults, except like, I don't know, I guess like I'm Santa and I'm buying records for myself. Like, I don't, I don't know, but it's a, at, at any rate, it's a, it's a good day. And I'm really excited for what Saturday morning is going to bring hitting a few uh, Columbus local record stores. But first I've got to focus and we got a lot to talk about when it comes to Ohio state. And that's part of why uh, the podcast was held until Friday. Uh, just a lot. As I keep mentioning, like we're kind of in that weird period where it's like, I don't want to record a podcast on Tuesday and then there's news Tuesday night and then I'm recording another one. And then what was the point of the Tuesday one? So we've got an addition via the transfer portal, a roster that appears to be solidifying. We've got, schedule update to get into and conversation with Bryce Sensabaugh. So there's a lot on this podcast. I'm going to try to keep this one at a, at a reasonable length, given that it will uh, just be me talking here. But without further ado, I want to remind you, you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, wherever you enjoy the finest of your podcasts. And if you subscribe, you'll automatically get the newest ones. As soon as our man, Patrick Flaherty is able to edit out my random, uh, blabbering and publish them while you're subscribing or downloading please leave a review please click five stars and as always please do consider telling a friend thanks to everyone who has taken the time to do any of those things and thank you for listening so the biggest news of the week was or at least as of this moment because the week's not over uh, monday's edition of baylor transfer guard dale bonner now, Bonner is listed as a 6'2", 170-pound guard who will actually be entering his uh, sixth season of college basketball, which um, we're probably another year or two away from these types of, of situations really being all that common. Uh, Bonner was an unranked recruit out of high school, out of Shaker Heights High School, signed with uh, Division II Fairmont State, was there for three years. And then transferred after a redshirt year and two years of playing, transferred to Baylor, spent two years with the Bears, and now will finish his career uh, here at Ohio or at Ohio State. And I think his journey is pretty fascinating stuff. So I was able to talk to Bonner on Monday, right when the news broke that he was committing. And that story went up. You can read that on dispatch.com and buckeyeextra.com. And he talked about Ohio State and about uh, his journey a little bit and you know, some hopes and expectations. But I do think I'm working on something bigger about kind of where he's come from to where he is now, because 
um, once I heard that he was sort of on the radar, I knew that this was a, a commitment or a player that, that would elicit two very different opinions from the fan base. Some would look at it and say, okay, you're, you're bringing an Ohio kid home and he has been a role player and he fits a need in the backcourt. Um, and he's not all that, he, he's not prolific. He's not, um, a, you know, he's not really a starter. Uh, he's just a guy that, that fits a need. But then obviously you can look at the production and you can say, well, what the heck? Like, I think there was certainly people and fans who were envisioning getting a guard who scored more, had more, had gaudier numbers and had made maybe more of an obvious impact um, at his at his previous program. And so what, I want to talk about some of those in a moment. But I did have a conversation with his high school coach, Danny Young at, at Shaker Heights. And Danny had a story to me about how uh, Bonner scored 39 points as a senior in a close loss to, to St. Ed's. And there were a bunch of Northeast Ohio, he said, um, Division One coaches in the stands. So this is Young told me, quote, I'm saying to them, now do you think he's a Division One player? Several of them told me, nah, I think D2 is about right. I said, I'm telling you, man, this kid is a surefire Division One player. The ironic full circle. When he left Fairmont State and put himself in the portal, every one of those college coaches in Northeast Ohio is now calling me and dad, wanting him to come back to the school. Now, obviously, that's just kind of how things work. But even getting the offer from Fairmont State is an interesting story. So according to to Young, he was invited to camp at Fairmont State, and they were really recruiting another guard and not Dale. But he eventually outplayed the guy on that day, earned the offer. I'm going to have all of that in a in a bigger story about Bonner here, um, hopefully in the next week. I've got some more uh, messages out to some more people from his background because there are some really interesting people who have seen potential and value in him and have given him opportunities and maybe given him, allowed him to earn opportunities. Like he's, that was one of the talking points from, from young is that it's not, not it's not that anything's been given to, to Bonner. It's that he's, he's earned opportunities along the way. And just by putting his head down and, and working and um, staying consistent. So at Fairmont state, he was recruited by Joe Missoula, who is now the head coach of the Boston Celtics. So you do have an NBA coach who saw enough in Young to offer him a scholarship and give him that first opportunity. He did well at, at Fairmont State. He was a prolific scorer um, at, at that level, which you can argue about what that really means. And certainly certainly some of the, the hangups, I feel, from the Ohio State fan base about this signing relate to the fact that Tanner Holden transferred up from Wright State and then was a non-factor for the majority of this past season. And we're going to talk more about Tanner here in a little bit, but um, certainly when you when you are bringing in someone who began their career at the Division II level and you are coming off of uh, the uh, least successful season that the program has had in, in more than 20 years, adding someone who started the Division II level doesn't immediately move that needle. And I certainly understand you know, where, where some of those, those concerns and some of those frustrations come from. But when he decided to, to leave uh, Fairmont state and transfer up his, one of his primary uh, recruiters was Jerome, Jerome Tang. 
assistant coach at the time at Baylor, now head coach at Kansas State. And this past season, uh, Kansas State 26 and 10 made the Elite Eight. Uh, Tang has very much uh, established himself as a, uh, I don't know if you could say rising star. I mean, he's not super young, but. Like first year as a head coach, uh, he did as well as you, know, you could certainly expect. And while uh, Bonner was at Baylor, he played with some. He played in some really, really good teams. Um, when you look at uh, what the Bears did in his two seasons, Baylor in 2021-2022 uh, uh, went 27 and seven, had a, as a one seed, upset by North Carolina in the second round of the NCAA tournament. I was not happy about that. Uh, but went 27 and seven that season <clears throat> and had a backcourt that featured James Akinjo and Adam Flagler, who were both uh, really talented players. And in that in that realm, in that backcourt, Bonner still found a role as a guy who was transferring up from from a lower level. So you look at his production there in the 2021-2022 season. 17.3 minutes a game This playing in the big 12, which statistically continues to rate as the most difficult conference in college basketball. Uh, he only shot 33.7% from the floor and 19% from uh, the three point line. He averaged 3.1 points, 1.2 rebounds, 1.5 assists while playing 17.3 minutes. So he was a role player on that team, but he did have a role. So he improves on that. Then this past season, his minutes go up to 19.4 and everything across the board increases as well. Not significantly, but he goes from 3.1 points to 4.7. He goes from 1.5 assists to 2.7. He goes from 0.9 steals to 1.4 steals. He goes from shooting 19% from three to 37.2% from three. And he goes from shooting 33.7% from the floor to 44.1% from the floor. So there was significant growth while playing roughly the same number of minutes on another talented Baylor team that goes 23 and 11 earns a three seed. Yes, Baylor was a three seed and took a second round loss to Creighton uh, in the NCAA tournament, but finishes 23 and 11 earns a three seed. And that's in a backcourt. Baylor's three leading scorers were all guards. Keontae George, Adam Flagler, LJ Cryer. All three of those dudes put the ball in the bucket. All three of them score more than 15 points a game. Bonner still manages to play 19, nearly 20 minutes a game in that backcourt. They did not need him to score. They had plenty of scoring from their other weapons in that backcourt. So Bonner had a solid offensive rating. He had an offensive rating of 114.1, according to Ken Palm, which puts him behind on, on that roster, puts him behind uh, Jalen Bridges, LJ Cryer, Adam Flagler, um, as far as, well, I guess Bridges wasn't really guard. But at any rate, he had a pretty solid overall offensive rating. He had an assist rate of 24.9, so that was 194th uh, in the nation. So uh, he assisted on 24.9% of shots made when he was on the court, according to Ken Palm. And he had a steal percentage of 4.2, which is 27th best in the nation. So he's not the biggest guy, but he is fast and he's pretty good defensively. He's got pretty good hands and is pretty good at just kind of filling a role. Um, nobody for Ohio State had an, had a steal rate that 
measured of anything um, on Ken Palm. And his offensive rating is on par with Sean McNeil's offensive rating for Ohio State last year. Uh, it's better than Bruce Thornton's. It's better than Justice Suing, better than Bryce Sensabaugh. So not a guy who is asked to do necessarily a lot and really shoulder the heavy load on the offense, but a guy who is able to be successful in the opportunities that he has. That seems to be what he is and who he is. So is this isn't an addition that necessarily moves the needle because um, he's not going to get a ton of necessarily highlights or uh, make a lot of headlines, but he allows Ohio State, I think, to do a couple of things. It will allow Ohio State to play three-guard lineups, which... I think is something they really want to do this upcoming season. I think uh, being able to, when you, when you start thinking about a lineup with like Thornton, Gale and Dale Bonner on the court, and then like a Jamison battle and a Felix Akpara, like there's a lot of athleticism and speed and quickness um, and physicality from some of those guys. Like you start trying to imagine what that looks like. I think he enables them to do some of those things and stretch the floor a little bit um, by by utilizing more guards and, and getting Thornton and Gale on the court. And that really made for an interesting needle for this coaching staff to thread in trying to bring in a guard. Because if you brought in someone who was going to need a more significant, high-profile role, you were not only going to be taking minutes away from Thornton and Gale and Taysen Chapman, um, but you run the risk of, of losing those guys. And so I think some of this too also comes down to, do you believe in where things could go with Thornton and Gale leading that backcourt? And if you do, then you don't bring in somebody who's going to disrupt that. That's a tough, that's a tough ask in the transfer portal. And so I do think this was a difficult um, this is just, this was a tough deal to try to figure out who fits that role, who can come in, who can do those things. I didn't even mention uh, some of his defensive stats here. I, I, I skipped over this in my notes here, but he's one of only five players in Baylor history with multiple games of at least six steals. And again, despite averaging less than 20 minutes a game, he finished 12th in the Big 12 last year with, at 1.4 steals per game. So I, I meant to mention that that earlier. Uh, I expect him to be able to play the one and the two. I expect him to play 20 minutes a game, probably similar role to what Baylor did this past year. But I think, you know, in some ways this is like Isaac likely 2.0, except that I think there's, I think there's more upside. And I, I say that with respect to ice, because I just think his season never quite got back on track after he had to leave. Um, I think that his situation at home sort of irrevocably changed the trajectory of, of his year at Ohio state. But I think, Bonner has not scored certainly at the level that likely did at Oklahoma state, but I think he's got more flexibility. I think he's got more speed and I think he provides again, that layer of veteran experience that should be able to help as Thornton continues to move into a captain's role and, and Gail moves into a, a, a much more significant um, minutes situation. And and Chapman comes along, you know, he's, he's a top 30, top 40 recruit, depending on who you look at. And that's around, he's actually rated higher as a high school prospect than Thornton or Gale were. 
So uh, certainly there are expectations that he's going to be able to to play an important role on this team. And having a Dale Bonner type of player, again, doesn't move the needle from the outside too much, but I think it just kind of, and the way that his, his high school coach talked about him, he just kind of fits and he'll play his role and he's going to be a, uh, you know, a good teammate and all those things that, that coaches like to say. Last thing on him for now, I asked him, what are, what are your hopes for this season? You know, obviously uh, it was a, not a good year for Ohio state. Like did that impact your thoughts on them at all? Did, and he said, no, like the, you know, he's looking more for fit and relationships and, Really appreciated like getting to know Chris Holtman and Jake Diebler. He talked about both of those guys. But I said, like, what are your hopes for this season? He said, my expectations are to control what you can control and have an everyday mindset. Come in and be ready to work. Of course, we want to get a Big Ten championship first and then just work from there. Obviously, I want to get back to the tournament. So expectations are always that. Continue to work on that and get ready to be in that type of situation. So his addition obviously puts Ohio State one past the scholarship limit. Should Bruce Thornton, or excuse me, should Bryce Sensabaugh and Tanner Holden both decide to return for next year? And I think back to, there was a time when Thad Mata was asked about the fact that they had signed like four kids and they only had three spots. And, you know, his response was basically like, we're aware, we can do the math. You know, you expect attrition and whatever. Um, So obviously the coaching staff is aware that should both Holden and Sensabaugh opt to return, they're one over the limit right now. But it's getting pretty darn hard to imagine that Bryce Sensabaugh is going to be back for a sophomore season. So I was at the Foundation's Spring Festival on Thursday night, which was at Value City Arena. It was a, a fundraiser for the Foundation. Uh, Chris Holtman was there, uh, and several of the men's basketball players were there. So Zed Key was there. Uh, Bruce Thornton was there. Roddy Gale was there. Felix Akpara was there. And Bryce Sensabaugh was there. So I did get a chance to to catch up with him and just kind of check in and see how, how things are going for him. He, as I'm recording this here on a Friday, he's flying to LA on Friday to continue training for the NBA draft and the combine and everything. He'll, he says he's going to remain out there until the draft combine, which is in mid-May. And then he said, I'll probably come back for like a pro day and continue to do like workouts for teams. He has until May 31st to make his decision if he would opt to return for a sophomore season at Ohio State. But that's getting more and more difficult to envision at this point. I asked him, how hard is your decision going to be? He said, I think it's going to be tough. But at the end of the day, I think I'll have that gut feeling. I've gotten some good feedback so far. Just keep writing that out. Keep working. See where it takes me. So then I told him, I said, I've had multiple people tell me that your NBA feedback has said you are going in the first round. I said, is that what you're hearing? And he said, that's what I'm hearing. Yes. And I said, well, in, in that case, if they're telling you like your goal, your dream has always been go to the NBA. If they're telling you you're going in the first round, how hard would it be to return in that case? And he said, to be honest, I, I don't know. It depends. We talked more and I've got a lot more in the story that you, you can read. I did ask him, like, what what has Ohio State, what did this year mean to you? Like, how much do you reflect on what this, this season was like? He said, quote, the Ohio State brand has done so much for me this year. I'm so incredibly grateful for everybody from the top of the staff to the bottom. Anybody who's ever helped me in this program is much appreciated by me. 
I'm super proud to have played as a Buckeye and worn it on my chest. Wherever I go or whatever the future holds for me, I'm always grateful. And I think I learned some important stuff this year and I matured. It was cool. Now, I asked him about how he was doing. I said, obviously, the last time we saw you, you were getting ruled out for the rest of the season. You weren't you were walking with a pretty good limp in Chicago. How how was your body? How are you doing? He didn't specifically say he's 100 percent fine, but he said, quote, just trying to get myself better than how I left the season. Said he's been working hard and, and you know, going through all that. So, I mean, I, I came away from it pretty confidently feeling like unless somehow that NBA feedback, once he starts working out for teams, unless that feedback drastically shifts to where they're no longer saying you're definitely going to be a first round pick, maybe that creates some doubt, but it's just getting more and more difficult for me to envision him coming back. And I think his situation is interesting to me because it's clear what the pros are and why the NBA sees him as as a player and why he could be a one and done um, like that, that I understand all that. He has the skill that everyone wants. He can put the ball in the bucket. He's a, he can get his shot. He's so talented on that end. The interesting thing with me is that I do think there's a world where you say, if you work on all those other things that clearly he does need to work on his defense, his conditioning, um, you know, some of those, some of those other things that don't involve just putting the ball in the bucket if the grade right now is you will go between 15 and 30, I don't think it's that unrealistic to say that next year, those things could go from 10 to 20, you know, you move up and and, it's, and if you're talking about getting picked in the lottery, as opposed to getting picked at the end of the first round, that's the difference between a bigger contract, a bigger role, uh, more time in the league, as opposed to time in the G league. Like there's a lot of reasons why that is. Those things are, are more attractive, certainly, but you're also talking about a kid who, did not play as a junior was an unranked recruit and has played himself into a position where he's now a first round NBA pick. Like that's a heck of a climb. And when your dream is right there and you have that opportunity, like I don't, uh, that is really hard for me to, to believe that you could turn that down. Um, and like he said, I mean, he's got a decision to make and there's going to be a lot of things that are going to, that are going to go into it. I did sort of ask a couple of people uh, throughout the foundation's uh, spring festival with all these donors that were in and all the money that's being raised. Is there enough NIL money to to keep Bryce Sensabaugh at Ohio State for a sophomore season? And generally, the people that I asked that to, they they laughed. So uh, I do think Ohio State has tried, and I do think there have been some overtures there, um, but I don't think it will ultimately be enough, and I think he's going to uh, get a pretty good payday at the next level. And then um, he will be the next Ohio State player in the NBA. Uh, I think it was it was Ron Stokes at the NIL event uh, in introducing Chris Holtman to the crowd, pointed out that there will be six players from the Holtman era in the NBA. And he included Sensabaugh in that list. And there's also, I think it was Bill Lewis, who's part of uh, the foundation's board, who made, made a joke about how they were auctioning off dinner for six people plus the Ohio State freshman basketball players. So they were, uh, and, and they were including Zed because Zed was there. And the money that's raised from this stuff like goes back to the players. But the uh, 
I think it was Bill Lewis sat on the stage like, you know, Bryce, you don't need to come up here. You're going to be getting plenty of money soon or something to that effect. Like you're going to be making lots of money here real soon. Like I think there's unless something like I keep saying, unless something drastically changes, like it's just it's getting almost impossible at this point to envision Bryce Sensabaugh being back for a sophomore year. But I guess you you never say never until uh, things are finalized and things are signed. But that's that's how it looks as we sit here on on April 21st. So if if he doesn't return, then obviously that leaves Ohio State with a roster spot or, or excuse me, everyone on the roster as of right now is fine, but they couldn't add anybody. The Ohio State would be a maximum capacity should Bryce Sensabaugh not return. And that would mean that Tanner Holden could stay. But the question now is, will he? And my understanding of this situation as we sit here in mid-April, almost late April, is that it's not quite the clear-cut decision that it might look like from the outside. I think certainly um, when your role completely dries up despite the longest and most difficult losing or most significant losing streak uh, in the 20, what was it, 25 odd years, like it's easy to say, okay, well, that's a guy that, that's going to leave. But there's not necessarily right now a clear cut path for immediate eligibility for Holden. So he transferred obviously to Ohio State from Wright State and has been working toward a degree. But one of the things that doesn't always present itself in these situations is the fact that tra- not everything always transfers. And sometimes um, when you move from one school to another and you end up having to pick a different major or a different uh, area of study, like that can create, um, that can make it harder to get to graduate. And I guess that's probably not rocket science. Like when you trans- transfer from one school to another, like there's going to be academic issues that come with that. Like that's whether you're a athlete or not like that's just that's going to happen so given that tanner transferred last year and is not a graduate transfer and has already used his one-time eligibility waiver he's kind of in a tough spot right now if he were to transfer somewhere he'd have to sit out a year before playing another year unless there's like some way that he would be able to to wrap up a degree in time to get a grad transfer and be able to take advantage of that rule. But I don't know if that, I don't know how likely that is at this stage. And it's not, it's not like a fault of Tanner Holden, like not going to class. It's like, this is just what happens when people transfer. Sometimes you run into these things. And the fact that he did transfer with two years of eligibility remaining complicates things. And I, 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 on top of like trying to figure out, like, I think if, if Tanner Holden wants to remain at Ohio state, they will keep him. But I think it's also fair to wonder how difficult it would be to sign up for another year of, of what he went through. And if, you know, how committed can you be to that? That would take a lot. I think given his background and given his expectations, that's, that's, that's a lot to ask. And I don't necessarily envision that Tanner's going to go from playing. Um, I don't have the stats directly in front of me, but he, he had a minor role on last year's team. And I think you could maybe see a slight increase, but I don't know that Ohio State wants to play 10 guys or 11 guys. And that puts him in a really on the court that puts him in a tough spot. And I think the academic side also puts him in a tough spot. So there's a lot of factors in play here. He does have until I believe it's May 11th is the deadline to uh, enter the portal. So 
basically stay tuned on this. And when I know more, I will report more. But it's it's a very difficult, nuanced decision and situation that it does seem like, though, we might get some kind of clarity before long. Because when Holtman was speaking to the crowd at the event on Thursday, he told the crowd, quote, we have the finishing touches on our recruiting in the next week or two. We may add one more player again for them to if they add one more player then that would mean there's that would put them two over at the moment if Holden and Sensabaugh were to come back. So look for, hopefully this will all solidify in the next week-ish and we can we can start putting some rosters in ink and starting to really examine what this is, what this is going to look like. Now, whatever that roster does look like, uh, we found out this week that roster will play in West, or will play West Virginia in Cleveland on December 30th. Uh, the venue's not yet been announced, but it's surely going to be Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. I can't imagine them playing it anywhere else. That's obviously a callback to Ohio State playing West Virginia at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse in 2019. It'll be four years and one day to the day that Ohio State was number two in the country, and then West Virginia was it was a physical, tough game. They just beat Ohio State down, led to the... That was a rough stretch for the Buckeyes at that point of the season. And that's the game that I will eternally remember for the fact that Kyle Young threw up several times before the game, didn't feel right, played, and then eventually had to have his appendix removed. Like basically played through appendicitis and in the process pulled down a game high 11 rebounds. So like clearly was not himself, like didn't have this. I remember watching him thinking he just doesn't seem quite right. He didn't have the same like offensive approach he didn't he wasn't really much of an offensive threat i think he had two points but the dude was battling every time the ball went up and this was against a bigger more physical west virginia team and it's one of the more amazing to me performances that i can immediately recall when it comes to my time on on the ohio state beat so we'll get a rematch of that on december 30th uh we we do know in addition to that ohio state playing in the emerald coast classic with uh, alabama Oregon and Santa Clara and it should be I, I think it's Ohio State and Alabama in the first round and then it'll be they'll get the winner or loser of uh, Oregon Santa Clara that that event took place last year it was the Friday and Saturday of Thanksgiving week so Black Friday and Michigan game Saturday Holman also told the crowd at the shot on Thursday that a top 25 team will be coming to that arena for an early non-conference game uh, I've heard it's a team from the South and that it will be a home and home, which I'm thrilled about because I want to see as many arenas as I can. And I think that true home and home games and or series in college basketball are so important. I just think playing those games in front of on college campuses, in front of home crowds, like that's the that's the one of the very best of the best things about this sport. And I love when those happen, you know, getting to go see games at Duke, at Virginia, uh, those are obviously ACC Big Ten Challenge. Those were scheduled, but like going to Cincinnati was amazing. Um, and get, getting to see, I want to see as many arenas as I can. And I'm very excited for whenever this gets finalized and hopefully putting that on the calendar. It sounds like for uh, 2024, we'll be going somewhere to go see a marquee non-conference uh, early season game. And that will be awesome. So also have a little update on Zed Key because I did speak with him at the uh, at the event as well. 
uh, as far as how his shoulder recovery is going. <clears throat> he's, he's out of the brace. He's using both his arms. He said, I'm doing some strengthening exercises, not really putting too much weight on it yet. I still can't. It's almost a month and a half out, so I still can't do much, but it's more than I was able to do a month ago. So he's about a month and a half into a six-month recovery process. I asked him about like off-season goals and things you're, you're trying to you know, maybe work toward right now. And he said, first, is get 100% fully healthy and then take it from there. Once I'm fully healthy, then start working on my game for next year, being more versatile, shooting more, being quicker on the court. I guess the the tough thing for Zed is that if he's a month and a half into a six-month recovery, um, you're looking at four and a half more months, and we're here in mid-April. So you're looking at end of August. So he should be full go by the time like camp starts, but it is unfortunate that he won't have an off-season to try to do those things and really like work on that shot and work on expanding the game that I think we were starting to see right up until he suffered the the shoulder injury. And finally, I, I want to plug, there's a story on dispatch.com and buckeyeextra.com that I finished uh, late last night. Uh, but I had a couple of interviews in the last week or two, but Devin Royal and Dalen Swain, uh, obviously Devin signed for Ohio State from Pickerington Central. Dalen Swain from Columbus Afrocentric, he signed with Xavier. But the two of them, there's a documentary about their senior seasons. It's called Talk of the Town. It was put together uh, by executive producers Jake Spiegel and Nosa Orikaki. And I just want to thank both of them for their time. I I got to watch the movie. Um, I could not attend the premiere. It was on Easter Saturday and I was out of town. But they did show it at the Ohio Ohio Union. And um, there's some really neat stuff in there. And I really enjoyed getting to talk to all four of them about that process and about the movie. And I would encourage you to to go read that. And um, yeah, pretty good, pretty good stuff in there. I, I enjoyed that one. So go check that out. And I, I do have like some thoughts on like all the NIL talk that we had Thursday night, and what that event was like. But I'm going to save that, I think, for next week. Uh, this podcast is, like I said, running a little long and I've got some more work to do here today that I need to, to get to. So I'm going to wrap this one up and wish you again the very best of Record Store Days. I hope that they have the limited edition vinyl that you are looking for. I hope that you don't get rained on too much. I don't know what it's going to be like sitting outside a record store at 6 a.m. on Saturday because I think it's going to be pretty gross outside, but uh, I will be there with a book and an umbrella and some rain gear and a chair and some coffee and we'll get through it and we'll have some great music to listen to uh, this time tomorrow. I can't wait for that. So enjoy yourselves and enjoy Record Store Day. Thanks as always for listening. Thanks to Patrick Flaherty, the podfather, for putting this together. As always, you can send along your questions, your comments, your love notes, your hate mail, and otherwise constructive criticism to me at Adam Jardy on Twitter, no longer verified, adios blue check, and ajardy at dispatch.com. I'll be back with you sometime next week. Until then, put some good tunes on, take care of each other, be kind. We'll talk soon. Be sure and subscribe to the Buckeye Extra podcast in the iTunes Store, the Google Play Store, or on Stitcher.